Digital Marketing Radio, episode 180. How to implement a people-based marketing approach. DigitalMarketingRadio.com Did you watch last year's Digital Marketing Radio Christmas special? 55 digital marketing experts on one live show. This year, I'm doubling up. 110 experts sharing their number one digital marketing strategy for 2017 on one live show on Thursday, the 8th of December, 2016. If ever there was a not-to-be-missed live show, this is it. Just go to digitalmarketingradio.com special for full details and how to watch live. That's digitalmarketingradio.com special. Don't miss it. The Big Interview with David Bain. Hello, I'm David Bain, and today I'm joined by someone who is a part technical product manager and part marketing visionary. He's a principal product manager leading Adobe Marketing Cloud's device co-op and people core services teams. Welcome to DMR, Aza Willock. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Oh, thanks for uh, so much for joining me, Aza. Oh, you can find Aza contributing to Adobe's digital marketing blog over at blogs.adobe.com slash digital marketing. So, um, Aza, how do you define people-based marketing? That's a great, it's a great question to get started. Um, the, the funny part is it's really what marketing should have been all along, right? Which is, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a merchant, let's say in this case, and, and I, want to, I want to delight my customers. I want to build a relationship with them that understands them, sees them every day. And we have this exchange where we advertise, we promote, and we give them things that they're, that they're excited about. That's people-based marketing. It's, it's really focused on um, tuning yourself, how you measure your customer, how you personalize for your, how you advertise to them around a person as opposed to a device. And, and that's where we've been, right? Which is we've, as digital marketers, we've fallen in love with the power of digital, its ability to reach people, to, to cultivate messages around the data that, that's meaningful to them. But we've fallen away from our ability to do that in regard to people. And we've tightened down to a device. So people-based marketing is getting back to that, being able to say, well, you know, how many people came to my website? For example, a, a simple question that's difficult to answer these days based on customers' desires to approach you through whatever screen they want to or to be able to personalize or advertise to them with a context to an understanding of a journey that that customer has taken with your brand. So people-based marketing is really what marketing always should have been. And we're unlocking that in a world where customers use lots of different devices. Yes, I guess it probably was that approach to begin with uh, whenever marketing came in. And then perhaps businesses lost sight of that. So it certainly seems to me like the early stages of the internet, people were focused on technology and um, systems rather than actually marketing and and building relationships with with individuals is is, is that something you'd agree with yourself as well uh, I, I think I, you always have the same goal as a business owner i'm a business owner you, you want to work with your customers you want to understand where they are and, and you want to be able to to really anticipate their needs you want to build a relationship with them and, and those things have never been lost they've just been complicated and where it gets complicated is if i see you as a consumer of mine as a desktop computer and then separately as a mobile phone, and then separately as a tablet, or separately as 50 different cookies from one desktop computer, it's no wonder that my ability to do that has been has been lost and muddled. So I wouldn't say that the marketer has lost sight of it. I'd say that the reality of the shifting world of technology has just, just made it more complicated. But we need to adapt, and, and we're getting there. That's the big key. 
So how, as a larger business possibly, with all that data coming in at you, do you change your approach to be a little bit more people-centric? Yeah, so, so perfect question. So the way that we do a people-based approach, so let's, let's imagine this as, as I'm, a, I'm a large-scale business and I want to be people-based focused. So, so I alternatives, right? I want to be able to measure, I want to be able to advertise with respect to, are these two devices belonging to the same person? Does this next device continue their journey where I show them the next relevant advertisement, the next relevant piece of information that gets them to feel like this brand of mine understands them? So you, you can do it in a couple of ways, right? The first way is you love to be able to take advantage of an authentication between the two. That customer declares themselves to you saying, hey, I'm here. I'm back for the next level of experience. But I think, as we all know, uh, putting up a login wall in front of your customer is, is really difficult. It challenges those who are just starting to explore your brand. That's, that's not where they want to go first. They want to have you understand them without necessarily needing to hand over more details. So they, they look externally. They look to uh, companies like Adobe to say, hey, how can we utilize what information is out there to have a better approach? And Adobe takes what is the best of both worlds today. And there are two worlds today. There are alternatives that sit there. And there are what we refer to as the walled garden approach, where you can say, okay, great. I will give you access to a company like a Google or a Facebook. And the login data that they have is immense, right? And they can say, great, I can link these two devices because a customer has notified me that these two devices belong to them. Now, the problem for a typical marketer, though, is that that's typically oriented around a media sale. Now, whose customer is that? You are actually paying for access to that walled garden customer. That means that that relationship is no longer yours. And this is really meaningful to the marketers that Adobe serves. Give me the ability to speak to my customer. You've noticed that close association with your customer again is so meaningful in this case. Now, the alternative to that in in that approach has been the probabilistic startup which says, hey, great, Uh, this is your customer and this is all this data, but it lacks confidence. It doesn't have an authentication between those two points. How do you give them the confidence that these devices really belong to the same consumer? And and that's the key. And that's what Adobe looked at and said, all right, you know, our customers are asking for this. How do we provide something that gives you that? You need a combination that offers both the power of determinism, being confident, and extending with the best technologies you have with algorithmic bases, but also allow me to use this in all the screens and approaches that our customers want. So if you look at the cross-device world today, what you'll see are things like, great, how do I use this across the channels where my customers approach me, not just in one or two? How do I have confidence, but still scale? Give me the best of both worlds. And then let me utilize this in my measurement, in my advertisement, in my segmentation. You need all of those tools to be enabled to have a real people-based interchange. It's, it's, it's tricky, but it's there. So how do you define the value of what you're talking about from the ROI perspective? If, if you're a marketer in a business that likes the idea of becoming more people-centric, how do you drill that down into value for a CEO? Yeah, so a really good question. Um, when we started, we had exactly the same question. How do you really metricize the value of giving them a view toward people? Especially when you say, well, well, what exactly will view toward people do? What we found was that the, the value is, is almost intrinsic, especially when you look at something like measurement or segmentation. The pure and simple need of, hey, I need a metric that lets me know how many people came and visited my website. Help me go to my boss who has asked me this question for what feels like the entire time that I've worked here. How many people have come to visit? Because right now what I'm reporting is that more visitors appear than I serve in the entire United States. How is that even possible? It, it limits my credibility as a marketer to be able to come up and say, look, we served this many, well, not quite people. That value is, is immense. 
And it's difficult to monetize in that very direct way. But once you start utilizing that as your metric, every business decision gets smarter. And when you're smarter, it just trickles down to everything that you do. Now, on the advertising side of things, which I've also touched on, it's a little bit easier to quantify, which is you can stay front of mind for a consumer. Those retargeting impressions, for example, are some of the most expensive CPMs you can buy because they're so valuable and they're very actionable. But if I can tell you, well, this mobile phone and that tablet, those both are belong to the same human being who came to visit your site. You have an opportunity to advertise to them in all of these different areas. Now you have a much richer CPM available to you at, at a relatively bargain rate when you think about it, because it wasn't viewed in that perspective before. And when you stay front of mind for a consumer, it can take a significantly fewer number of impressions, maybe as few as half, to convert them rather than just doing a traditional spray and pray campaign and, and losing that context for them. So uh, in, in summation, there's value in many different channels. And it really is something that, that changes the foundation of how you do it. I mean, when you think back to data-driven marketing at a basis, who wouldn't want to have information and intel on your websites and how you build or how you create your applications? It, unlock the value of that. It comes into every single business decision. This is the same kind of groundswell. It, it's really meaningful in that part. So businesses nowadays can get very personalized with their approach with the amount of data around if it's used correctly. Um, but what, what kind of consumer privacy issues should today's businesses be aware of? Okay, I'm so glad you asked that. So when Adobe stepped into this for the first time, this was the really the biggest key for us on top of empowering marketers, which is, hey, at, we serve the largest marketers in the world. Nine out of the 10 world's largest marketing brands work with Adobe, two out of three of the Fortune 50. These are major, major companies. And Adobe is just like them. We have a sterling reputation that we really try and make sure that it is always on the right side of, of customer trust, of that intent. So how do you do something that is fundamentally getting closer to the consumer? How do you delight them and not put them into a position where something unexpected is happening? And that was really the key, which was, okay, how do we get the consumer to, to understand what choices they have? And what we refer to is really evening the balance of power because a marketer treated with cross device has all of this information, but let's say that, that I have a mobile phone, a laptop and a desktop computer all linked together. Well, the marketer is now empowered to make offers there, but is the consumer empowered? Does the consumer understand that these three devices are being treated as if they belong to a common unknown person? So we tested this. We tested exactly this and we interviewed people from, from all over the United States and Canada and other areas. And we showed them uh, two key pillars that Adobe's worked into its privacy experience. And those are, we show them exactly what devices are linked together for them. And we talk about these are the areas where your choices take place and give you the ability to make choices in one location for all of your devices together. And, and that's extremely important. And the reason it's so important is once a consumer understands, hey, these are the devices that are known for me, there, there's a there's a there's a what. This is what is happening with my devices. And I control this as a consumer. I have a real powers over what happens and what doesn't happen. And then once they know where it happens, a lot of these, these you know, other areas, it, it can be a question mark. I opt out of something. Well, where does that take place? Adobe, as it looks at this, operates a fully transparent service. We list every member who participates in our device cooperative. And that's the way to do people-based marketing is show the consumer, show the privacy-minded consumer exactly who's participating and why you should trust these brands, why you should trust Adobe and other digital marketing purveyors, because they're willing to be transparent with you and show you exactly what the digital marketer has available to you. So you can make educated choices. And once that happens, the privacy advocate in DC, the privacy-minded consumer, gains a lot of comfort about that. 
because they understand exactly what's happening. And, and that's really been the key is let's even that balance so that a consumer can make all of the educated choices about what happens for them. Uh, you've used the word devices in its plural format a, a few times there. So right. uh, I'm sure you're very mobile centric and the focus that you, you have and the, the approach that you take. Does um, a mobile first world have any significant impact on people-based marketing? I think it very much so. I mean, so one of the trends that I think we've really noticed as we've started this, this people-based journey and seen it working and seen our first customers utilizing this is that uh, the, the world of mobile is really evolving in terms of how a marketer perceives them. And we've known that mobile is significant and large and growing. But I think some of the things that you'll see out of the Adobe Digital Index report will highlight this as well, which is that customers are more and more transacting over now, it hasn't supplanted the traditional desktop transaction, uh, not by a long shot yet. But as you, as we formally said, hey, mobile is big, but maybe transactions don't happen. Well, transactions do, and it varies by vertical. In some cases, a customer is consuming content on their mobile phone, on their tablets, on their desktops. And you need to be able to give this customer a wide access to information and content and discovery so that those mobile devices are a key part of the journey. It might be the leader for you where a customer discovers your brand on mobile and then converts later, it might be the transaction point in itself. Sometimes we see the customers are split between these particular perspectives. We've seen that in retail and early examples where on occasion, a customer grabs a hold of a mobile app and never visits the desktop side. And so you need to understand why are your customers not journeying across the two? Do you want them to? Are you happy? Do you have a different kind of customer set? One that's more lucrative than the other in each? It offers this wonderful stereoscopic vision of your customer understand hey, how are they changing across? Do they flow across these? Is it a different set of customers? You have access to that data. When you understand those customers as people, it all makes sense. Otherwise, you're making decisions that are very siloed. And that traditional approach doesn't serve you as well because you think you're making decisions that are, that are intelligent for your brand, but you see contrary results and you don't understand why without that context of people. It's, it's very important and mobile is just becoming more important. And I'd like to get your thoughts on a very closely related topic, actually, and that's attribution. Um, so just as um, a broad overview, what, what are your thoughts on things like first click versus multi-touch and um, the ability of, of the average business owner to be more intelligent about attributing value to different touch points prior to purchase? Right. It's, it's an excellent question, too. I think if you're able to understand what are the touch points that are tied to a person, those natural flows will change. I think, I think everyone agrees that some of the early attempts at attribution have flaws. It's, it's not, not really a question. If you, if you purely attribute to last click, you, you discredit everything that happened in the chain previous to that. But how do you value them in a fair way becomes very difficult, especially when you have no real confidence that it's belonging to the same human being. You can say, well, great. I want to attribute the, the, the first few touch points that I encountered this, this, pretend, this device and say that, that those are credit for it. Well, why? That's what you'll run into. Why do I believe that that led to an outcome? And you can't confidently back that up and you say, well, I know that because it's the same person. For example, if I can come out and say that every customer who converted on my desktop uh, first actually touched on mobile, so that mobile channel should be credited with an attribution, even though no conversions happen there. That's immense. That's saying this is key to my business and I need to invest in this as a strategic priority. Whereas previously, you might have done it as an externality. You might have come out and say, well, I need to invest in mobile. I know it's important, but I can't justify it. Again, attribution is really coming back and saying, of all these things, where should I spend my next dollar? And you can't understand that without a view toward people. You, you just can't. 
There's, there's no way to be confident about that. And we're always going to be interpolating and then measuring after the fact, but we're, we're just, we're just really guessing at that point. And, and marketers deserve better than guessing. So do you think that in general, most businesses should be moving away from a last click model? Um, you know, you're going to have to fit for your business. I think my favorite part about offering as a people-based marketing approach is every single time that we sit down, there is a different use case. There is a different approach. Uh, on an attribution front, I've definitely seen customers who are saying, I want to utilize this and I want to capitalize on this to be able to do better attribution. But on the other hand, one of the most popular is simply give me the ability to do this. And the number one thing I hear about at cocktail parties is, hey, can you help me stop getting ads for something that I've already bought? Right. It's, and it, it sounds simple, mm. but it's complicated. And how many marketers out there are nodding their heads right now saying, I wish that our systems didn't do that. But it's, 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 it's getting caught up in some of our most lucrative activities and that retargeting that you'll come and visit something and you'll buy and all of that's disconnected. Yeah. So give me the ability to be able to understand that this device that bought this thing is tied to the subtle one I'm about to advertise to. It's just this wonderful case to be able to unlock this both for the marketer as well as for the consumer. Or if I'm being made an offer, which is there are two offers, one's for soccer moms and soccer dads. If you have information about me that's tied to a cookie that might be reliable, but I show up on a, a mobile application and you don't have any information tied to that IDFA or GAID, how can I make a smarter choice about that ad, that customization that's being done for me? If I see the soccer ad, dad ad over and over again, it's going to have much more impact on me and thinking this brand has it together. Okay, I've seen this before. This is consistent with me. If I see one of each... I'm like, dude, you guys don't know what you're talking about. You're treating me as if you have no idea who I am. And we're disconnected from that experience we started with, which is I want to work with a, a brand that feels like it knows me. So when you're talking about um, seeing adverts to something that you've already purchased, are you talking about poor retargeting or simply repetitive paid advertising that um, doesn't have any intelligence behind it? I'm talking about suppression. Really, the the, the, the retargeting element is is this simple. Right? I, I take a I go to a, a home supply workshop and I say I'm looking for tile. Right. And this is my favorite. I've been I've been properly identified as intend to remodel. So I get an ad in the morning and I look at it and I go, oh, this, this is interesting. Like I'm, I'm actually into this. And then I go to work and I, I say, all right, I've got to take care of this today. I'll search for tile for a little bit. So let's say I follow some search click ads and I look at tile. I figure out what it is. I, I email all the samples to my wife and say, hey, uh, which one of these think is right? And I sit down at home with her later. And then we, we pick something out and we say, OK, um, I'm going to go ahead and, and purchase this tile. This is right. Right. That was a perfect flow. I was advertised to. I discovered something. Guess what happens to me now? Right. So the poor marketer thinks that was advertising dollars wasted because nothing happened. Mm. That was search click ad wasted because, again, nothing happened. And then it was someone who drove directly to a particular product and bought it, which maybe works there. But guess what I'm going to get? on my mobile phone now and my work computer is nothing but an unending supply of ads about tile. And I feel like, well, great. Now I'm, now I'm identified for tile on this and maybe the other devices over here and over there. When in reality, I've already bought this thing. And my feeling is that, that this brand isn't very smart. It doesn't know me. I just did something. It should be offering me some, know, some backing for that tile. Not a very good tile person, as you can tell. I don't necessarily <laughs> understand how to anchor tile. But the point being that we can, we can be intelligent we can make choices that delight our customer rather than uh, show them our limitations. And, and that is so key to what everything is at the foundation of people-based marketing. That's just one of N different stories, which starts to unlock, hey, can we do this? Can we be able to understand our customer this way? And almost all, answer, always the answer is, uh, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And that's a really cool use case. And I'm excited about it. Let's go make that happen. 
it's nice to be able to visualize an example like that. Uh, it makes the listener or helps the listener really understand precisely the use case scenarios regarding what you're talking about there. Well, thank you. Okay, well, in a moment we're going to be talking um, about um, the software that um, ASA couldn't live without. Uh, but first of all, I'd like to tell you about a free online digital marketing conference that I'm going to be speaking at soon called Digital Olympus. So it's going to be held on Tuesday the 6th of December and it'll run the whole day long with speakers like Laura Crimmins from Branded3, Michael Stricker from MS Design, Laura Higgin from Rice Media, um, Laura Hogan, rather, from Rice Media. And um, it's a highly not-to-be-missed event. So um, check it out at digitalolympus.net. Um, free, and that's where you sign up. But let's segue into the second part of our discussion. So that focuses on Ace's thoughts on where digital marketing's been and where it's heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. So, Asa, what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? Ah, wow. I mean, it's, it, there are so many different components that get used on a regular basis that, that allow us to be successful. Um, it, it, you're going to laugh. I, I'm, I'm very old school with this. And, and for me, it's, it's really two key things. I, I could not live without PowerPoint and I could not live without uh, our, our Adobe Connect software. Communication is key. Hmm. For me, sitting down and being able to use these, these relatively simple tools and, and saying, hey, I want to be able to communicate clearly an idea to a customer one-on-one. And, and move that along. So I, I wish I could serve, serve digital marketers better. I'm, I'm really a one-to-one message guy. I can't live without those two pieces. And actually, I had a different answer ready for you, uh, which is unrelated to my business. I have software that I can't live without too. But since you focused around business, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Well, perhaps that answer may come up as an answer to the next question, which is um, slightly more challenging. And that is what piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you intend to try at some point in the near future? Um, yeah, so the, there are, um, it's an interesting question. I keep minding things like I want to be able to get into different kinds of software like Evernote. I really want to be able to make better use of an ability to plan for our team. I keep imagining pieces of software that allow us to better map out how the team wants to function, how it wants to coordinate its messages, message coordination, really being able to cultivate a message that allows us to develop that is going to work well. So I, I wish I could tee up something in general uh, that would be a better approach to this. Uh, it's it's something that I really care a lot about uh, team coordination, how our message gets built. And, and frankly, I think that that tool is still missing. So what you may see is uh, me diving in and building it instead. <laughs> um, but uh, I wish I had a better answer for you there too. I, I guess you try and use Adobe software if possible. Do you, do you have much software that you use that isn't Adobe software? Oh, extensively. It just disqualified from all the old answers because I use it every day. Mm. I mean, that the nature of that was one of the greatest parts about being here at Adobe and I'll credit to our creative cloud teams as well is that you can source a lot of your own content. I can't tell you how many times that we've, we've sat down and say, well, geez, I only wish we had this particular piece of content or this image or this sorts of thing. Well, you can do that. You can grab a hold of these pieces with Adobe Stock, which is super sophisticated for being able to identify what you want in this detail of creative uh, opportunity. We can use our own products like Adobe Campaign to reach our customers. We can identify and test our own products at the ground level with things like our DMP. We can measure how successful we are with our analytics products. Frankly, that was my, it would be my question, my answer to the question previously, which is there's a panoply of Adobe software that I use every day mm. and there's more that I need to discover. Um, but but uh, I, I didn't want to be too much of an Adobe fanboy, but there you go. You unlocked it for me. <laughs> I, I love our own software. Okay. That was my fault. Yes. No, <laughs> no, that's understandable as well, though. But um, 
Have you tried, uh, you're talking about task management and team communication. Have you tried um, software like Asana and Slack? Yeah, so we use Slack all the time and I mean, you, I've heard good things, back to your point around Asana. Um, it's one of those where, um, so the team cultivates mavens is how I look at it. And there's usually one or two who bring that in and say, hey, let's, let's try this out. Let's make this the, the pathway to it. I'm usually the problem generator, which is I need a way to be able to take this thing that we need to do and turn it into something that I want to track without uh, sending you an email every third day. And that's been raised for exactly that. Um, but we make plenty of use of both of, the, uh, of, uh, of Slack today. Uh, I love it. It's great. And then Asana is something that's teed up for us to use soon. Great. Okay. Well, I'll make sure I include um, links to the recommendations that you did mention in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. But let's move on to... I wish I would have. So this is looking back um, some distance, perhaps. Um, so it's looking back the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think we, we have done, uh, we've been blessed, right? Because people-based marketing is something where the, the demand is immense. When you talk to customers, you hear things like, this is something that, that I've been wishing that there would be a solution for for a very long time. So in terms of demand, uh, it's always been terrific. I think the, the key that I would have liked to have uh, even earlier was I'd like to be in a position where we really, we had even more of an open forum around what customers were looking for. I think when you fulfill a market demand that is for something new which is to say people-based marketing is new or it's been growing in terms of its value. And customers say, I've got to have that. And they think of specific cases. Often it's one where they, there's, there's not clarity on exactly what they want. They know where it is, but they don't know how they're necessarily going to measure it. And, and this is what makes the opportunity exciting because you're diving in and you're saying, well, hey, let's, let's measure this this way. Let's establish this as our new world. But one of the things that I wish I'd had the opportunity to do was spend even more time with customers. I know it sounds blase. You're business owner, you want to spend more time with customers. But uh, having those conversations where you could really sit down and say, okay, well, if it did this, how would you know it was working? How would you show your boss it was working? How would you show your customer that this was working so that you could articulate that to them? And you'd be even in deeper with them. My, my team knows this really well, but um, I, I just, I, I dive straight through every layer and want to talk to our customer directly all the time. And now that they're using the products every day, I get that interaction. I get those responses around, yeah, we like this, but we really wish it would have done that. Or yeah, we love this. We're looking to take this for how soon can we do this? I wish I had that opportunity even sooner. Um, but frankly, I don't have all the answers on how we get there. So that's uh, that's one of those keys is how do you identify the problem and how a customer is going to use it even before they have that product? So it's one of the key challenges. When you say you wish you could talk to your customers more directly, do you mean face-to-face -face or is over the phone, does that suffice just as well? Either one of those works really well. I think what we're looking at is giving them an ability to reflect on how they're going to use a product once they see it. So that, that ability to take a look at something and say, hey, this works for me, but I noticed it didn't do this. I was actually wondering, could we do that? Could we unlock that? Because I'm going to compare this solution to my alternative, which is X or Y or Z. And I'm hoping that it will roadmap to do these additional things. You get that feedback over the phone, or in person, it doesn't really matter, but you get that feedback once they've, they've really embraced and, and dug into something and it's been made real for them. Up until that point, you can ask those same questions, but often they'll respond with, well, I don't know. Uh, we'll see when we get there. I'm not sure yet. And I think that's just reality is when presented with a real product, with presented with something to interact with, presented with a real thing, um, you get a very visceral reaction. It's hard to simulate. And I think that that would be, you know, you have worlds where you build wireframes, you build mocks, you test customers, you do interactions. All these things are valuable substitutes. 
Um, so I'm sort of putting out the holy grail, which is I want feedback on my product before I build it to put it back into it. Okay. And certain businesses have hundreds of thousands of customers or millions of customers. So it's possibly impossible to take direct feedback over the phone or face-to-face from every one of those customers. So how does a business actually pinpoint and select the customers that will be most valuable in terms of giving feedback? Oh, that's a wonderful question. So Adobe invests itself terrifically in our beta programs. And what you do is you build up relationships with customers over years. These are the advantages that you have when you work with a marketing cloud like Adobe is that you can build a relationship with a vendor. You can know that they understand how to work with a company like Adobe, how to give feedback over time that's going to weave into that. So you don't have to pick a thousand customers and send them a survey. You can take 10 customers that represent the different levels of small business, brand new, large-scale enterprise, publishers, OEMs, CPGs, everything. And you can pull from that and say, well, I know this person and I can trust them. And they're going to give me feedback that's good for the product in the long run because we're in this together. And Adobe really does this the right way and invests in that. And that's why you see that Adobe has been around for so many years is that we develop that relationship with customers that not only gets them you know, excited about our products, but builds this virtuous cycle that we really love in terms of what we do. I could I could delve into this topic um, even deeper, actually. I'll, I'll ask one more question about it, actually, and um, that is, um, how do you know which piece of feedback to really listen to? If, if someone says something negative or an idea, how do you define that as a real opportunity to perhaps change the products for the future, for future development? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to credit a, a, an author that I really love. His, his name is Neil Gaiman, if you've ever heard of him. And one of the things that he's credited with saying is if you're, and he's a writer, so he says, if your readers tell you that, that a passage is wrong, they're almost always right. If they tell you what's wrong in the passage, they are almost always wrong. And, and I think that that's true. I think that you, you can trust a, a customer or a beta tester or a consumer's reaction to almost anything if they tell you, this isn't working for me. Now, when you pin them down and say, well, why isn't it working for them? You'll, you'll, hear, you'll hear a little moment where they, well, I think it could do this, it could do that, it could do the other. Take that back to your teams. Take that back to the intelligent people. Work with it. Bring it back. Iterate. Come up with something again. You don't have to do exactly what they're saying, especially if it's a one-off and you've only heard it from one customer. Sometimes, I don't know if it's that, but it's almost always true that the pure utility of it was missing something. You can figure out what it is. You can try again. And often you'll come up with something completely different than what they said, but hits on that exact need because you knew where something was wrong. And, th- and that's that big key is I listen to them very carefully. You said it's a, they're telling you something's negative feedback. Perfect. That's what to listen to. Grab a hold of that spot, figure out what's wrong with it. Listen to what they told you about what was wrong. They may be right, but take it back to the team, figure it out. You've got smart people. This is a, an excited industry who wants to figure things out. Bless you for giving us some feedback and let's go figure it out. Your answer reminds me of the five whys and drilling down ever more deeper into precisely what the true issue is. I'm a fan of the five whys. It's an excellent method. The this or that round. So moving straight on to the quick response round, and that is 10 quick questions, just two rows here. Try not to think about the answer too much, and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. So ready to go? Okay. Twitter or Facebook? Facebook. Facebook or LinkedIn? LinkedIn. Mobile or desktop? Desktop. Email marketing or web retargeting? Uh, Web retargeting. Website or app? Website. Paid search or SEO? Um, Paid search. Quality or quantity? Quality. Email contact form or telephone number? 
uh, email contact form. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Uh, global marketing. You were so relaxed there, and uh, I don't think any question was um, a particular issue at all. I think the slight pause came between paid search or SEO. Would, would that be correct? Yeah, that's true. Um, it was it was something I was thinking about for a little while, but maybe it's just uh, the coffee hasn't kicked in for the afternoon. <laughs> okay, let's just um, delve straight into then. The $10,000 question. If I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? Ooh, um, so if, if I had $10,000 to spend on this business... Um, well, I think what I'd probably end up doing with that $10,000 is, is, is probably in, enhancing all of our methodologies for, for getting out and getting the message out to customers. This, this is one where a lot of times where we encounter customers, uh, they've heard about what we do, but we, we actually don't spend an enormous amount of money today on taking the people-based marketing message out. A lot of this, and we've seen tremendous success and interest, is inbound. It's customers coming to us and say, hey, Adobe. We want to figure out a way that we can do people-based marketing. And we heard that you have something to do with that. I would, I would actually take that message and try and spread it further. Because I think what you find is every time you unlock that and you take back to these customers, hey, here's a few things you didn't know. A few questions that you had when you heard about when we talked about something like a device co-op or a people-based marketing approach. You had a few assumptions. You heard those words and you make it a couple. Of, but here's some things you didn't know. For example, you didn't know that the inbuilt of a device co-op can actually be made fair. And Adobe's made it 100% fair for large and small companies alike. I would take that message and I would broadcast that in a way that allowed customers to go, interesting. I didn't know that that was the case before. That was something that I had assumed to be otherwise. Or interesting, I didn't know you could do this use case where I can identify how a consumer's devices may mutate over time. Maybe they are going more mobile, to your point, and they have two mobile phones where previously they had one. But I would unlock a world of different use cases and I would just literally obliterate some existing uh, viewpoints that people have around people-based marketing that simply aren't true. There are ways that we've looked at things in the past, and I'd take that and I'd, I'd use that $10,000 as far as it would go in that context. It might be one radio broadcast with, with you. It might be uh, it might be $10,001 flyers who sees. So we'll figure that out as we go. And in terms of measuring the impact of that, is that um, simply the number of people that actually end up purchasing something because of the conversation? I think that would be nuanced. I think you you always want to measure by a bottom line that, that people get back to, but then you miss uh, the forest for the trees. I think when you're looking at taking a message and spreading it further, what you're looking for is when your customer comes inbound for the first time, what do they think? Are they coming in saying, well, you know what, I think this, and you go, well, actually it's that, which is you're correcting a perception to market, whereas you know, you're, you're letting the, the, the market persist itself with things that aren't necessarily true. Or are they coming in saying, I heard this, I want to be able to do that, that's right, right? And you're just confirming that for them. I want to be more into that latter camp where we're able to say, look, you know what, this, this is the truth of what's coming across. And this is exactly where it lands. And being able to confirm that message lands rather than signatures in the end. I mean, when you're talking about value, you want to make sure that your message matches the value that you're selling. That's what I'd be measuring by. How does the message match up? Okay, so you mentioned inbound a couple of times there as well. What is your most successful inbound marketing activity at the moment? Well, I think if you talk about what Adobe does well, I think when you look at our leadership in, in, in how we bring things to market around Adobe Summit and around the, the major things that we do all across the world in London and then our APAC symposiums, we really th know how to throw a major conference where everybody gets together. 
and takes a look and says, what's Adobe going to do next? What's, what's the big thing that's being announced right now? So when I look at, at our calendar year about how we speak to customer, how we reach out to them, what we do, that's usually where I focus on. Get everybody together so we're expecting something major to happen. That's where I look to where those inbounds come from because that's where we have our major event. That's where we talk to the marketer and that's where we listen to them. And that's where we do all of our exchange. And that, that to me is where that major inbound comes from. That's let's, interesting. let's all get together. Yeah, interesting. You talk about a physical event there um, and wrap that around in- inbound. And obviously, integration is key there. Um, a lot of digital marketers probably still just focus on digital as an online and having perhaps not necessarily any integration or relationship with other offline marketing activities. But that's not your average consumer. Your average con- consumer experiences brands in lots of different places. And um, I love how the fact that you talk about offline as well as online in the same breath. Well, let's take it full circle, right? People-based marketing is about relationships, right? It's about being able to work with your customer. What better way to work with your customer than to directly sit down with them, to listen to them directly? Adobe has a tremendous practice at these, these sessions of listening to your customers, letting them speak about what they'd like to see in innovation. And being able to do that has such a tremendous impact. So that that really adds a lot of that value rather than purely relying on that digital relationship, which, hey, we value a lot. But if we have the ability to do that and be able to literally sit down, that's what a leader does. A leader gets together and shows the community a pathway forward. And that's why Adobe is a leader in digital marketing. My number one takeaway. Well, so you've offered a lot of great advice in our conversation, but what would you say is the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listener need to take away and implement within their business? Um, invest in people-based marketing. It works. And, and that's really the key. It works no matter if you're a measurement professional, if you are a data management professional, if you're in advertising, every facet of digital marketing benefits from a perception of who are the people behind this device? Because people are the ones who purchase products, not devices. That's it. That would make a nice tweet as well. So hopefully I'll be able to fit it into 140 characters or whatever it is now. So um, that takes us to the end of our discussion today. So thank you so much for your time and your advice. Um, What's the best way for our listener to find out more about you and what you do? So the best way to get in touch with us is reach out to the Adobe Digital Marketing blog, and you can follow us from there, myself and my colleagues, who are speaking constantly about things like people-based marketing or any of the wonderful areas that Adobe is trying to help our digital marketers. Great. Okay. And I even remember off the top of my head that that's blogs.adobe.com slash digital marketing. But dear listener, I'll also include a link to that in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. So um, thanks to Aza and thank you, dear listener, too. If you have an opinion of what Aza shared today, tell us what you think. So you can find the Facebook page at facebook.com slash digitalmarketingradio. And you can, of course, um, leave a review on iTunes or any other good podcatcher as well. Or if Twitter's your thing, at David Bain is my handle. Plus, make sure you sign up to the mailing list at digitalmarketingradio.com and I'll let you know when and where we're next broadcasting live. But until we meet again, be fantabulous and do one thing that scares you. Adios. Thanks again, Isa. Great episode. Thanks, David.